Hey, it's Craig. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to Canadian History X early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. Greetings and welcome to another episode of Canadian History X. If you'd like to support the podcast, you can. Just go to patreon.com slash CanadaEHX. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month. And every tier has various things you can choose from, from swag, shoutouts, to early episodes and more. You can also donate to the podcast by going to CanadaEHX.com and clicking donate. Every dollar you give helps keep all of this going. Don't forget, I have two other podcasts, Pucks and Cups and From John to Justin, available on all podcast platforms. One of the most important Indigenous leaders of the Pacific Northwest Coast during the late 1700s was without a doubt, Maquina. And before I continue as usual, I do apologize if I mispronounce any names. It is not known when Maquina was born, but it is believed to have been in the 1760s, and he would become a powerful chief whose summer coastal village of what is now in Nootka Sound on the BC coast would become an important spot for European powers who were trying to gain power in the lucrative maritime fur trade. It is believed that McQuinnah took over the leadership of the Nootka indigenous after the death of his father, Anapa, in 1778. He was skilled in forging alliances, choosing to marry the daughter of his rival, Wiccanish, and he was able to form good relationships with the indigenous groups around him. He was also known to be a great whaler and spiritual guide. In the book Vancouver's Discovery of Puget Sound, McQuinnah is described as such, quote, it has been seen that McQuinnah was loved and obeyed by his people. He was undoubtedly the greatest chief on the coast. End quote. The first record of McQuinnah comes from Captain James Cook, who met with an indigenous chief in the area, but does not state his name. Many assume that the man he met was McQuinnah, whose name means possessor of pebbles. Cook spent a month in the area, refitting his ship, and while there, Friendly trading relations were established, and several goods changed hands, including sea otter pelts. Cook had expected easy trading with the indigenous, but he soon found that McQuinnah and his people demanded fair payment and were not to be taken advantage of. Cook would write about when his men went to cut some grass, quote, I had not the least imagination that the natives could make any objections to our furnishing ourselves with what seemed to be of no use to them, but was necessary for us. However, I was soon mistaken, for the moment our men began to cut, some of the inhabitants interposed and would not permit them to proceed, saying they must makuk, that is, must first buy it. End quote. Cook had such a friendly visit during the month his crew were in the area that he would name the area Friendly Cove. Cook's men would trade those pelts in China at a great profit. And while Cook was killed in Hawaii before he got to China, his crew sold those goods for what is believed to be an 1,800% profit. It was because of the journals of Cook's voyage, his third, that people saw the huge profits that could be made in the maritime fur trade with China. After this point, Nootka Sound became an important center for the maritime sea trade, and various European powers all began competing for this lucrative market. From this scenario, McQuinnah would control the fur trade and serve as the dominant indigenous leader in the area, and as the middleman between his people and the Europeans. 
At the time Europeans arrived, McQuinna had the power of 300 to 400 men behind him, giving him strength even as the Europeans had superior weapons. James Hanna was the next to arrive in the area and meet with McQuinna. He came in 1785, but in August of that year, McQuinna led an unsuccessful attack on Hanna's ship after, according to Spanish accounts, Hanna played a practical joke on McQuinna that offended him in front of his people. At first, only the British traded with McQuinna, but as the profits grew from trading, Spanish and American ships soon arrived in Nootka Sound. John Mears would arrive in the area in 1788 on his voyages, exploring Nootka Sound and the coast. Mears described McQuinna as a man of, quote, appeared to be about 30 years of a middle size, but extremely well made and possessing a countenance that was formed to interest all who saw him, end quote. Upon meeting McQuinna, Mears presented him with a present of copper, iron, and other items. In return, McQuinna took off his sea otter garments and in the words of Mears, quote, threw them in the most graceful manner at our feet and remained there in the unattired garb of nature on the deck, end quote. He claimed to have bought land from McQuinna in exchange for pistols and trade goods, and it was on that land that he built a trading post. In telling of his story, Mears says, quote, the chief not only most readily consented to grant us a spot of ground, but promised us also his assistance in forwarding our works. Great advances were made in building the house, which on the 28th was completely finished. End quote. There is doubt if this claim was true, and it would lead to issues in a very short time. One year later, the Spanish arrived, and Esteban José Martínez of the Spanish Navy claimed Nuca Sound for Spain and built Fort San Miguel and established the settlement of Santa Cruz de Nusha. McQuinna understood the power that he now had as the middleman between these different powers. He quickly began to learn the European languages so he could have an advantage over the other indigenous in the area in negotiations. He was able to manipulate competition between traders, driving prices up, and at the same time, his power allowed him to regulate the activities of other indigenous in the area. Through McQuinna, all furs traded at Nuka would pass through the hands of his people. By 1792, he controlled a trading network that stretched from the east coast of Vancouver Island to the coast of British Columbia. His people would travel across the islands of the coast to purchase furs, which were then sold to the crews that visited Nuka. John Hoskins, a trader who came to the area, said that McQuinna understood about price differentials and that his profits were considerable. Soon enough, with the profits so high, the Spanish then seized several British ships, causing the Nootka Crisis. At the centre of the crisis was the fact that McQuinna apparently had sold land to Mears, but Spain disputed these claims. McQuinna would meet with Quadra, the leader of the Spanish in the area. In one account, a dinner was described as such, quote, Of all the large company, however, the person whom the boys thought to be the most interesting was the Nootkan chief McQuinna. This native, who was attired in European clothes, conducted himself at the table as if he had been accustomed to the use of a knife and fork from infancy, and he behaved in the manner that was highly credible to his instructors in etiquette. End quote. McQuinnis saw the danger of the two powers fighting over the area and its impact on the trade of the indigenous. It would also impact McQuinnis personally. On July 13, 1789, Calicum, the brother of McQuinnis, 
paddled out to berate the Spanish, only to be shot dead. Maquina then moved to Opatsat, the village of his father-in-law, Wiccanish. He kept a close eye on the British and the Spanish, and when a rival visited the Spanish on August 1st, Maquina went back to Nuka Island to regain his position in the area. In 1790, the Spanish built a small settlement at Nootka Sound, and the indigenous were suspicious of the Spanish there, and avoided the cove. Not long after their arrival, the Spanish plundered an indigenous village. In June of 1790, Maquina encountered an exploring mission under the command of Manuel Quimper, and he found them friendly enough that he assisted in looking for the survivors of a shipwreck. James Colnett then arrived in January 1791, and attempted to win Maquinna over to the British side of things. The entire issue over the Nootka Sound area between the Spanish and English faded with the Nootka Convention. Maquinna was a key person in the relations between the Spanish and the British, and Captain George Vancouver, who negotiated the Nootka Convention, described Maquinna's hospitality. In one story from the writing of Vancouver, he stated that Maquinna and his people performed a masquerade for Vancouver and the Spanish envoy, in which McQuinna and his brothers acted out a pantomime in European dress and manners, improvising mock English and Spanish dialogue. Through his knowledge of English and Spanish, McQuinna was able to help negotiate an agreement between the powers that would eventually prevent war. He was often invited onto the ships of the Spanish and the English to dine and even sleep, and he would drink tea, which was something he enjoyed enough that he introduced it to his people. In 1791, John Kendrick, an American captain, traded for some land with McQuinna. This trade was seen by President Thomas Jefferson as a basis for American sovereignty over the land. The treaty, called the Kendrick Treaty, would state, quote, To all persons to whom these presents shall come, I, McQuinna, the chief, and with my other chiefs, do send greeting. Know ye that I, McQuinna of Nootka Sound on the northwest coast of America, for, and in consideration of ten muskets, do grant and sell unto Jane Kendrick of Boston in North America a certain harbour in said Nootka Sound called Chaskatoos, in which the brigantine Lady Washington lay at anchor on the 20th day of July 1791, with all the lands, rivers, creeks, harbours, islands within nine miles north, east, west, and south of said harbour, with all the produce and both sea and land appertaining thereto. Only the said John Kendrick does grant and allow the said McQuinna to live and fish on the said territory as usual. End quote. In 1792, McQuinna would state that he had never sold any lands whatsoever to Mears or any other person except Captain Kendrick, whom he said was the proprietor of the lands in the area. McQuinna is said to have called Mears Ete Ete Mears, which means the lying Mears. Archibald Menzies kept a journal of his time with Captain Vancouver from April to October 1792, and he describes one of their meetings with McQuinna as such, quote, McQuinna, who sat alongside of us during the first part of this entertainment, now stole away as if going to give some orders at the further end of the house. He instantly masked himself behind the group and entered the area capering and dancing with great agility, which he performed much to the satisfaction of the whole group who had testified their appreciation by repeated and universal plaudits. End quote. After the European and Americans left Nuka Sound in 1795, McQuinna and his people destroyed the buildings and reasserted their dominance over the area. In September of 1795, 
Charles Bishop reported an indigenous village at Uquat, and McQuinna was said to be very ill. A few weeks later, Bishop was told by Wiccanish that McQuinna had died. He was succeeded by his brother, Quatzalapi, who took the name McQuinna, which makes it a bit confusing to know if the McQuinna who met Captain Cook in Vancouver was the same that would attack the American ship the Boston, as we will see. It is not known when McQuinna for sure died. He could have been the one to keep Jewett rather than his brother. I will detail the story of John Jewett on the assumption that the McQuinna who met Cook in Vancouver was the same who had Jewett in his company. One interesting aspect of McQuinna was that he did keep European slaves on several occasions. The most detailed example comes from the aforementioned John R. Jewett, who was kept for several years after the crew of the Boston were killed by McQuinna and his men. The attack had happened after the crew of the ship tried to take furs by force, according to one account. McQuinna and his men killed the entire crew, except for the blacksmith Jewett. In Tales of Conflict, another story of what happened is related as such, quote, Captain Salter gave warm welcome to McQuinna when the old chief came on board. He invited him to dinner and presented him with a double-barreled musket. The next morning, McQuinna brought the gun back. He had broken one of the locks and he complained that the weapon was bad. Captain Salter was feeling out of sorts, and he flew into a temper, seized the gun, and making an insult illusion, forgetting that McQuinna understood English, he threw the broken fouling piece down the hatchway for Jewett to repair. End quote. McQuinna was greatly insulted by this, and that night a war council was held, of which McQuinna took no part, as it was the decision of his warriors to make. The next day, every man on the ship was killed. Jewett had been observed by McQuinna working as a blacksmith, and he was offered his life if he would work for him as a slave. In his book, and yes, this is the title, a narrative of the adventures and sufferings of John R. Stewart, only survivor of the crew of the ship Boston, during captivity of nearly three years among the savages of Nootka Sound, with an account of manners, mode, and religious, and opinions of the natives, he would write, quote, a man of dignified aspect, about six feet tall in height, and extremely straight and well-proportioned. His features were in general good, and his face was rendered remarkable by a large Roman nose, a very uncommon form of features among his people. His complexion was of a dark copper hue, though his face, legs, and arms were on this occasion covered with red paint, that their natural colors would be scarcely be perceived. His eyebrows were painted black in two broad stripes like a new moon and his long black hair, which shone with oil, was fastened over with white down, which gave him a curious and extraordinary appearance. End quote. McQuinna had a son that he was very fond of, and Jewett would become the companion of the boy throughout his stay in the company of McQuinna. Another man named John Thompson was found hiding in the Boston. Jewett saved the man's life by saying that it was his father, and Jewett said he would not make knives if his father was killed. While Jewett adjusted well to his new life, Thompson did not, and was eventually given to Wiccanish. Jewett would go on to state, quote, He was dressed in the large mantle or cloak of the black sea otter skin, which reached to his knees and was fastened around his middle by a broad belt of the cloth of the country, wrought and painted with the figures of several colors. The dress was by no means unbecoming, but, on the contrary, had an air of savage magnificence. End quote. Jewett would often go out on fishing parties with McQuinna and would receive a large present of salmon for himself. 
He was also permitted to go out with a gun and would kill several wild ducks and teal, which were cooked by boiling without any dressing other than skinning them. Jewett stated that McQuinn had taken six sailors from a ship called the Manchester as slaves after they deserted and came to Nuka Sound. In his recounting of his time with McQuinn, Jewett also relates when McQuinn saw him writing in his journal. He said, quote, One day observing me writing in it, inquired of me what I was doing. When I endeavoured to explain it by telling him that I was keeping an account of the weather, he said it was not so, and that I was speaking bad about him, and telling how he had taken our ship and killed the crew, so as to inform my countrymen, and that if he ever saw me writing in it again, he would throw it in the fire. I was much rejoiced that he did not do more than threaten, and I became very cautious afterwards not to let him see me write. End quote. Jewett would write, quote, On the whole, McQuinnah was kind to his slaves. When he had plenty to eat, they were well fed, and when he had little food, they went hungry. End quote. Jewett would remain with McQuinnah until 1805 when he was finally picked up by the Lydia. It is known that McQuinnah worshipped at the Uquat Whaler Shrine, performing ritual purification to gain strength to hunt whales and attract drift whales to his beaches. The shrine was moved from its traditional area in 1904 and transported to the American Museum of Natural History, where it has never been on display. Currently, work continues to bring the structure back to Canada, and to its traditional area. In the Journal of Jewett, the importance of whales in the life of McQuinnah is related. His people relied on him when it came to whales, and if no whales were found, it was his fault. Jewett writes, quote, The whale is considered as the king's fish, and no other person when he is present is permitted to touch him until the royal harpoon has first drawn his blood, however near he may approach, and it would be considered almost sacrilege for any of the common people to strike a whale before he is killed, particularly if any of the chiefs should be present. End quote. Today, McQuinna is honored with the McQuinna Marine Provincial Park, McQuinna Elementary School, Chief McQuinna Elementary School, and the McQuinna Active Submarine Mud Volcano located west of Vancouver Island. In 1987, McQuinna was designated as a National Historic Person, and in 2018, a commemorative coin depicting Captain Cook and McQuinna was released. I hope you enjoyed that episode of my look at Chief McQuinna. If you did, please leave a rating and review. If you like, you can reach me through email at craig at canadaehx.com. You can also visit my website where you will find hundreds of articles on Canada's history as well as all my podcast episodes. Just go to canadaehx.com. And don't forget you can support the podcast through Patreon. There are multiple tiers to choose from, all with great benefits. You can support the podcast for as little as $3 a month, just like all of these wonderful patrons have, and I apologize if I mispronounce any names. Randy McCallum, Diane Wade, Lori Ann Kirby, Gary Dolovich, Nick Zinri, Pamela Elder, Shannon Marshall, Clinton Martinez, Dimitri Chauve, Aaron O'Hara Myers, Robert Dunseith, Todd Casey, Catherine Roa, Luke S., J.P. Bear. Jason Hall, Phil Maynard, and Iris Gray. If you want, you can find me on Facebook. Just go to facebook.com slash CanadianHistoryX. You can find me on Twitter. My handle is Craig Baird, C-R-A-I-G-B-E-A-I-R-D. And you can find me on Instagram. Just go to Bairdo37. Information comes from the Canadian Encyclopedia, Biography, Wikipedia, CBC, The Orca, Parks Canada, Ha Shilsa, virtualmuseum.ca, 
Tales of Conflict, Menzies' Journal of Vancouver's Voyage, April to October 1792, The Far West Coast, Pelts and Powders, Vancouver, Discovery of Puget Sound, Sunset Canada, and the Dixon-Mears Controversy. Thanks, we'll see you again next time.